0: So for those of you who don't know me, you might be visiting us for the first time today. My name is Stephen. I serve as one of the leaders here, and it's a great privilege for me. And I love preaching because I love what God can do when you come to His Word and His heart and His ways, and we talk about them. And uh, you have joined us in week five of a series called The Reason for Everything. The reason for everything. And uh, we're doing things slightly different in the course of this series. Normally what we do on a Sunday is we we either we either going through a book of the Bible or we going through a topic, we come to God's word, we read it, we try to understand it, we try to apply it into our lives, we go back to our homes, we go back to our life groups, we really try and commit to living it out. But in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at some of the tough questions that people have of our faith. Or of life, and they say, You Christians, can you answer this question? These questions often become obstacles to people becoming Christians or taking the step of faith. And today is probably the biggest one of the whole series. In 2007, the Barna Group, which is a Christian research-based group, they did an extensive survey of those who do not call themselves Christians, and they asked them, "What is it that is an obstacle for you becoming a Christian?" And and many of the answers that came out are some of the things we've been talking about. And of course, people talk about this clash between science and faith and creation and morality. And uh, uh, these things are an obstacle to me. But do you know that in this survey, the biggest obstacle above any of these big questions was this question on the screen behind me. Why is the church filled with so many hypocrites? And just to let you know, today might sting a bit. So prepare yourself. But I'm looking at myself as well. This is not a philosophical question. This is not an intellectual question. This is a behavioral question. I mean, even a few days ago on my Facebook feed, somebody put up this meme, really trying to put some language to this. And it says, sometimes the nicest people you meet are covered in tattoos. And sometimes the most judgmental people you meet go to church on Sundays. For so many non-believers, their encounter with Christians has not been experiencing grace, has not been experiencing love, has not been experiencing the kind of things that Jesus lived and died for. But so many people in this world have encountered us to, and experienced us as mean and hypocritical and judgmental and closed minded. And then, of course, before uh, uh, they can go far beyond that. And often people will point towards history and they'll say, well, look at what the Christians have done. Look at the crusades and the thousands of Muslims that were killed in the name of Jesus. Look at the witch trials where women were burnt because the community thought that they were witches. We can look at our own history in our nation, apartheid done in the name of Jesus. We can look at some of the things that make news headlines. Some of what's come out now, the studies around the pedophilia in the Catholic Church. We can look at how some of the megachurch pastors and some of the non-megachurch pastors make news headlines every single month of the year. And non-Christians are saying, okay, remind me why you want me to be a Christian. Several years ago, a poll was taken, a secret poll, Because this is the only way that we as Christians are going to be honest. All right, a secret poll was taken about the lifestyle activities of Christians versus non-Christians. And guess what the results were? They were exactly the same. When we talk about porn and when we talk about adultery and when we talk about violence and when we talk about domestic violence and when we talk about drug and alcohol use, exactly the same. In fact, statistically, the only place where Christians were different to non-Christians, where Christians were less likely to recycle. 68% versus 79%. Now, this idea of hypocrisy is not a typical topic that comes up when we talk about what we call apologetics, which is not about apologizing for our faith. It's talking about defending our faith in a rational way. Just by the way, heads up, next week is going to be another topic that isn't normally spoken about when we talk about apologetics. If you read Case for Christ and these books, you're not going to find next week's one either. But I believe next week is probably as important as this week's one. We're talking about obstacles to people coming to faith. So next week, we're going to be talking about this clash between Christianity and culture when it comes to sex and things like gender. How do we engage on these issues? So next week Sunday, I'm going to be using the word sex a lot. So either we're going to be empty or full. And I don't know if that means you make your kids stay at home or you bring your kids with you. I'm just letting you know what we're talking about next week, right? But this week, this idea of why our church is filled with hypocrites for many people is probably the single biggest reason that they do not want to become a Christian. So we have to deal with this. In some ways, we need to look at ourselves and in other ways, we need to know how can we engage with people who have been burnt and have encountered some bad apples or look through the pages of history and see a total mess. Now, if you're speaking to someone who brings this up, I guess you could come up with, you know, a smart, witty, smart um response. Maybe you've heard this one. I've also seen this on Facebook. Not going to church because of all the hypocrites is like not going to the gym because of all of the out-of-shape people. Now, that's the kind of response that makes you feel good, but maybe doesn't help the conversation. And maybe if someone comes to us and asks us sincerely this question about the hypocrisy in churches maybe before we defend or before we try and destroy them in inverted commas with our arguments, before we look at the facts, before we point at awesome Christians, before we do anything, maybe the first thing we need to do, and here's my first point for this morning, is we just need to admit it. We just need to admit it that in our churches around the world today and throughout history, there have been people who are guilty of doing the things that we're being accused of doing. And so often we are guilty of being judgmental. We are guilty of being closed-minded. We are guilty of being hypocritical. We are guilty of these things in history and maybe starting off with admitting it. Uh, There's an author, Donald Miller, and he wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz. Some of you maybe read it. It came out about 10, 15 years ago. And he was a guy who was on a, he's a Christian, and he was on a liberal university campus where, you know, Christianity and God is just not the thing to talk about. So he set up a confession booth on campus. And whether out of curiosity or I don't know, but people started lining up at this confession booth. And inside, instead of allowing people to confess their sins to him, Donald Miller and his friends confessed the sins of the church to the people who came inside just admitting to what we all know is actually true. We need to remember that when Jesus arrived on the scene in his public ministry, the first people he came up against were not the the sinners out there. The first people that Jesus came up against and called to repentance were religious hypocrites. People who used the name of God for their own purposes and in many ways actually abused the public with their power. It's no wonder Jesus was crucified by these guys. So we need to understand that when when it comes to admitting what is true and taking the humble instead of the arrogant approach, we need to recognize there's probably two things we can admit to. Two main reasons why Christians are so muddy when it comes to this. And the first one is this. Churches are often filled with people who aren't Christians. Now, you're sitting here this morning and uh, I'm not thinking about anyone in particular and I don't want any of you pointing fingers at the person you came to church with this morning, but this might come as a shock to some of you that not everyone who talks about Jesus, not everyone who has Christian bumper stickers, not everyone who says grace in restaurants is a Christian. Now, I, I, I can't play judge and jury on that one. I can't, you know, get you guys to line up and say, okay, you to the left, you to the right. I can't do that. That's God's job. But throughout the years, churches have been filled with people who attend regularly, which statistically these days is like once a month. So if you're more than that, well done, you guys are doing well. Churches are filled with people who attend regularly, try not say naughty words, try not sleep with anyone they shouldn't, uh, try not steal anything out of the stationary drawer at work tithe and do all the right religious things but do not love Jesus. Do not walk with Jesus and do not aim to be like Jesus on the inside. We call this cultural Christianity. This whole idea of there being this veneer of Christianity usually at convenient times like Sunday mornings. This veneer of doing the right things where there's no real evidence of having been transformed by the Jesus that we're talking about. We come from an era, now I'm painting with some pretty long uh, brush strokes here. We come from an era, both in our country, in in Europe and in the States, where we call the era Christendom. This whole idea that the country is, in inverted commas, a so-called Christian nation where basically everyone who, you know, you tick the box, or I'm a Christian, whether it's a mental box or whether you're hoping God notices the box you're ticking or it's actual ballot paper, you tick the box, I'm a Christian. You see, in our history, in the States, in Europe, uh, depending you know, on the country, you've got to go further and further back. there was those moments where, well, everyone goes to church, everyone's a Christian. There's no shops on Sunday, there's no sports on Sunday. So what do we do? I mean, if you don't go to church and you've been part of that kind of culture, you're considered a total rebel. But as for everyone else, well, we just go with the flow, I'm a Christian. But things have changed. And things are changing and will continue to change. Where Christianity finds itself in culture today is what Trevon Wax, who's an American pastor, he says, we've moved from the moral majority to the edge, the missional minority. We've moved from the moral majority to the missional minority, which by the way, is where most Christians in history and most Christians over the face of the earth have found themselves not in the moral majority. So just to help us understand what this actually looks like as it plays itself out, imagine being a lion supporter living in Pretoria. I mean, if you want to be a true lion supporter in Pretoria, I mean, you've got to be pretty sure that you love the lions. You've got to be so convinced that you're willing to be mocked. In some cases, you're willing to be even be beaten up for being a lion supporter. But here's the thing if you live in Pretoria and you're kind of like, eh, my boyfriend likes a bit of rugby, my family likes a bit of rugby, maybe you got dragged along to a game or two, maybe, you know, sometimes you do land up watching the, the rugby on Saturday afternoon, but to be honest, you'd rather be doing something else. And if you're that kind of person living in Pretoria, you just go along with the flow. Oh, well, I'm, I'm a lion supporter. You couldn't actually care less. I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a bull supporter. You see, you get your real passionate bull supporters and then you get those who just say so. And Christianity used to be like, well, cultures, you know, they're all Christians. So we're just gonna say we're Christians. And now as culture's changing more and more and more, we need to be so certain of what you believe in because that's not where culture is. Now, this is not a new problem. One of the first times that Jesus taught is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And, and He addressed false disciples. In other words, false converts or false followers of Jesus, deceived followers of Jesus. From the word go, listen to what He says in Matthew 7, verses 22 to 23. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name and in Your name drive out demons, perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me you evil doers in other words 2000 years ago jesus was predicting that there's going to come a day when not a few people when many people go up to jesus and they say hey lord And we said, well, we went to church, we sang the right songs, we did the right things, we wore the Christian t-shirts, we we tried not to be too naughty. And Jesus is going to say, hey, listen, well, maybe you knew some Christians and maybe you went to a church and maybe you knew the pastor. But here's the thing, I never knew you. These are people who actually believe they're Christians. So from 2,000 years ago, Jesus is predicting that there are many people sitting in churches who are just Blue Bull supporters. Don't know why. They're just doing what everyone else says they should be doing. But there's no real evidence of transformation. And we can admit to that. Take some humility, but we can admit to that. But there's something else we can admit to. You see, I don't know who comes to mind when I've been talking about religious hypocrites or people who believe that they're Christians, but maybe they're not. You see, there's something else we can admit to, and that's Stephen the hypocrite. That's you, the hypocrite. The fact that I don't always live up to what I profess to believe. And the fact that you, even a genuine Christian, may not always live up to what you profess to believe. You see, at the center of our faith is not a whole bunch of good people. At the center of our faith is a cross. At the center of our faith is an empty cross. And one of the times when Jesus was talking about why he came and what he was gonna do, he said this, listen guys, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The second thing we can admit to is something we don't always get and we don't always understand. And those who are not part of a church and those who are not part of the faith, they don't often get and they usually don't understand. But the second thing we can admit to is this, church is a place for sinners, not perfect people. See, the gospel is often misunderstood as taking a bad person and making them a good person. The gospel is often understood as here's the things you can do for Jesus. Here's the things you can do for God. This whole list of religious laws, that's called good advice. The gospel is what God has done for us, that's called good news. It's not about what we can do. It's only about what God has done for us. Not 99% to 1% us. No, 100% what God has done for us. It's a proclamation of who Jesus is and what he has done. Which is why Jesus can look at some religious hypocrites in the face and he can say to them, hey, listen guys. So you know some of these, in inverted commas, sinners that you've treated like sinners You know, some of these outcasts that you've pushed away. You know, some of these people you've looked down at. You know, some of these people that you've said to your kids, whatever you do, you know, don't make decisions like those people there. You know those people? Jesus says, listen, when those people come to me, they will enter the kingdom of heaven before you. Again, are you surprised that these guys organized that Jesus gets killed? Now, let, let me ask you a question. See, the gospel is about what God has done for us, not what we can do for Him. And if the gospel is God's grace, meaning His gift, His free gift, I don't earn the gift, it is given to me when I see Him and I know that I need His grace. So if the gospel is for people who need grace and know it, let me ask you a question. What do churches like that look like? They're gonna be messy, right? They're gonna be filled with people who need grace and know it. And that's awesome. That's the way the gospel was set up. I know one pastor, he talks about the fact that they got this uh, report from one of their neighbours and this guy had parked on this guy's lawn and he came out of his car and the neighbour walked out and said, hey, listen, uh, you parked on my lawn. And the guy literally swore to him, gave him the middle finger and said, I'm late for church. And the neighbor came up to this pastor and says, do you know that this was what one of your church members did? And the pastor was like, awesome. Why? Because he's a guy who's on a journey. He's a guy who started somewhere. He's at a different start than the start I've had. Maybe he wasn't raised up in a family. Man, but this guy needs grace and he's on a journey and he's here to grow. See, that's what every single one of us are. People who need grace. Equal on that footing and we've all come from different backgrounds. There's certain things you struggle with that I don't struggle with. There's certain things I struggle with that you don't. And even if you've been a Christian for 30, 40 years, there's things you still struggle with. Some of you are still struggling with lust. Some of you are still struggling with anger. Some of you are still struggling with some secret sins. Some of you are still struggling with not so secret sins. This is church. And you have all had these different backgrounds and it's going to be messy. Even the Apostle Paul says, he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do do. Who's going to save me from this body of death? Thanks to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, it comes back to him. C.S. Lewis, in trying to help us understand these things, he always does a good job in bringing clarity to these things. He's trying to help us understand about this fact that we're all on a journey. And that we all come from such different backgrounds. And that's going to mean the journey is going to look different for all of us. He says this. Imagine the scenario. Christian Miss Bates, these old English names. Christian Miss Bates may have an unkinder tongue than unbelieving Dick Furkin. That by itself does not tell us whether Christianity works. The question is what Miss Bates' tongue would be like if she were not a Christian and what dicks would be like if he became one miss bates and dick as a result of natural causes and early upbringing have certain temperaments christianity professes to put both temperaments under new management if they will allow it to do so what you have a right to ask is whether that management if allowed to take over improves the concern does that make sense so we can admit to the fact that churches are filled with people who aren't Christians and we can also talk about the church as a place for sinners. Not those sinners, but sinners like me. So maybe... If you're cynical here this morning or someone comes up to you and they're a bit cynical, they say, Stephen, okay, you know what? That's okay. But I'm not talking about the guy who still flicks the taxi. I'm not talking about the guy who maybe his head is pounding on a Sunday morning because he had too many beers last night. I'm not talking about the guy who maybe looks too long when he's flicking through the channels. If I look again at Christian history, I don't see little mistakes because we're just a little bit imperfect. I see people dying in the name of Jesus, not for Jesus, but Christians putting other people to death because they believe something different or they've been accused of something people will look say well what about northern ireland what about north and south sudan what about the crusades what about the witch trials what about apartheid and they can go on and on and on and on all these things and wars and people dying in the name of jesus so how do we deal with that so something we need to realize Is that so many of these wars and so many of these things done in the name of Jesus were actually done in the name of ideological and nationalistic ideals, not the kingdom of God as Jesus spoke about it? Let me talk about the Crusades and some of the history leading up to that, just to help you understand what I mean by that. So, for the first three centuries, Christians were not mainstream, they were not the moral majority, they were the missional minority. You see, they were in the Roman Empire and the Roman Empire, they had the pagan religion. They believed in the pagan gods and they worshiped the pagan gods as well as Caesar as God. And when Christians refused to worship these gods and when Christians refused to bend the knee to Caesar in this way, Christians were put to death. Literally arrested, put to death, dipped in tar, set alight, fed to wild animals, tied to steel chairs and the steel chairs being put into flames. That's what it was like for Christians in the first three centuries. Then a new emperor takes his throne. His name is Constantine, early fourth century. And here's his encounter. He believes that God really helped him, or Jesus really helped him win a war. And he becomes the emperor. And he stands up and he declares, as of right now, the official religion of the Roman Empire is Christianity, not paganism. I am a Christian. Now, let me ask you a question. When the most powerful person in the world says he's becoming a Christian, and when the most powerful person in the world with his incredible military might, when he says the official religion of the Roman Empire is not Christianity, man, and, and, and you want to be close to him, you want a piece of that pie, you want some of that power, you want some of the funding, you want to be on the Senate, guess what you say? Oh, it's amazing, I'm a Christian too. Yes, Constantine, no, Constantine, and praise Jesus. That's what you do, right? It doesn't matter whether you've been internally formed and transformed by Jesus, you just say you're a Christian for power. And you've got this crazy cocktail of empire and Christianity working together in this inseparable, crazy blend. This is why we believe in the separation of church and states. You see, the crusades and similar wars were not about the advancements of the kingdom of God the way Jesus spoke about the advancements of the kingdom of God. It is about the advancements of empire. It is about the advancements of European rule. It just gets so confusing when they do it in the name of Jesus and when they talk about the kingdom of God. So that's some of what is behind the history of this. Now I don't know. Again, I'm not going to play judge and jury. We can admit that as messy. I don't know if Constantine was or wasn't a genuine Christian. I don't know if the guys who went, who led the crusades and went on the crusades, I don't know if they were just mistaken Christians. But here's what I do know. These atrocities go against everything Jesus taught. Yes, they used the name of Jesus. Yes, they spoke about the kingdom of God. But these atrocities go against everything that Jesus taught. More often than not, the kind of Christianity lived and modeled and taught by Jesus is the kind of Christianity that gets shoved towards the edge. Because it undermines empire. It undermines power. It says that Caesar's not king. Jesus is king. My first allegiance is not to a nation or a flag. My first allegiance is to the kingdom of heaven. And powerful people don't like that. It's very dangerous when you put an equal sign between your flag and Jesus. See, the real kingdom of God, the real teachings of Jesus are gonna challenge every single empire. And at some point, if you're a Jesus follower, you are gonna be swimming upstream against the empire of your time. And depending on your time, that is gonna be more and more difficult. And Jesus warns us against using coercive power. In fact, in Matthew 5, one of his most unpopular teachings, he says, no, listen, guys, you need to love your enemies. And you need to pray for those who persecute you. Now I want to tread very gently and carefully for the next few minutes. So often religion and Christianity is blamed for all of these deaths. And again, we can admit to that. But if you go to the Guinness World Book of Records and you go to the category crime and you go to the topic mass killings, do you know that the single biggest number of people killed was 26.3 Chinese During the reign of Mao Tse Tung in 1949 to 1965. And because so often these figures get covered up, some people have estimated that up to 70 million Chinese were killed in his reign. We've spoken about Hitler, 6 million Jews. We can talk about the Khmer Rouge, 2 million Cambodians killed. And then we take Lenin and Stalin, put them together in Russia, and you get between, again, depending on the records, anything between 20 and 65 million people. These are our top four. Guinness World Book of Records. Why do I bring this up? You see, when people kill in the name of Jesus, and when witches are drowned and burnt in the name of Jesus, And when so-called unbelievers are killed or heretics are killed in the name of Jesus, that is an unnatural outworking of the teachings of Jesus. But when you hold a worldview like every single one of these leaders did, these guys passionately and philosophically and in in a committed way held to a non-theistic and naturalistic worldview. And when you hold to a worldview, nature is red in tooth and claw. Nature is cruel, therefore we can be cruel too. There is no such thing as morality. There is no such thing as human dignity. There is no God. There is no cause. There is no purpose. There is no reality. We are just these decomposing, evolved blobs on this planet earth that are going to disappear and no one's going to care when that is your worldview then what they're doing here is consistent with what they believe now i'm not saying maybe you're sitting here and you're not a believer in god i'm not saying for one second that all atheists will become these guys and this is where i don't have time to summarize what you've said in the last two weeks but you've got to hold to a worldview that can explain the morality. So many atheists are wonderful, moral people, sometimes more moral than us. But the question is does your worldview explain morality? Can your worldview explain the human dignity that you are fighting for? And we've shown that a naturalistic worldview is found wanting. These things are a natural outworking of an atheistic worldview. These atrocities done in the name of Jesus are an unnatural outworking of the name of Jesus. See, when people came to arrest Jesus, they came with their swords, they came with their spears, they came with their shields, they came with their soldiers. And Peter, uh, you know, Peter, 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 Peter pulls out a sword and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. And what did Jesus do? bends down, he picks up the ear. He puts it back on and he heals the guy. And then Jesus gets dragged off to be violently killed for the sins of the people who are killing him. For the sins of the people who betrayed him. For the sins of these world leaders we've been talking about. For the atrocities done in the name of Jesus or any other name. Jesus experienced the full violence of humanity for the sake of his enemies, living out his teaching to its max. Now I know we don't always get this right. You see, Christianity doesn't burn witches, Christianity doesn't oppress people in the name of Jesus, Christianity doesn't kill non believers. True Christianity, the way Jesus taught it, lays your life down for your enemies, gives your enemy a cup of water in need, washes the feet of people who you don't know. Now, I know that we don't always get this right. And I know that history hasn't always got this right. But there are people in this room, there are people on the face of this earth right now, and there are people throughout history who have gotten this right that their advancements have been based on the teachings of Jesus. That when Martin Luther King was fighting for human dignity, he did it on the teachings of Jesus. That when William Wilberforce fought against human slavery, he did it based on the teachings of Jesus, swimming upstream against the culture that wanted to enforce slavery. Hospitals built and orphanages built. We could just go on and on and on, wonderful things, universities done in the name of Jesus. So if you're a skeptic and you believe that the church is full of hypocrites, you're right. You're right. And I agree with you. But that does not mean that Christianity is not true. And that does not mean that Christianity doesn't work. In fact, when we understand that Christianity is for sinners who needed grace, it may very well mean that Christianity is working. Someone once pointed out that if Christianity was a purely human-based religion, there was no God in and working through Christianity. It should have died out thousands of years ago. It should have died out within the first few decades because of exactly this. I've told you so many times, the church was messed up from day one. The Corinthian church, messed up. The Galatian church, messed up. The other churches, so-so. were some folks who are messed up. Day one, our New Testament exists because of people who are hypocrites. And yet, it is still advancing. At the end of the day, everyone is gonna face this question. What did you do with Jesus. Not what did anybody else do with Jesus. See guys, we are wanting to be in this winsome space. The space where we genuinely and authentically engage with people who have tough questions. I mean, to be honest, I get so annoyed when I see a YouTube video entitled something along the lines of, watch this Christian smash the arguments of this atheist. What does 1 Peter 3.15 say? Always be prepared to give an answer for the faith that you have, the hope that you have. And do it with gentleness and do it with respect. And when people ask questions about the hypocrisy in the church, we need to know how to do this with humility, not smash their arguments. We need to know how to do this winsomely. We need to be able to admit to the fact that yes, there are people sitting in churches that do not know and love Jesus. We need to admit to the fact that I'm also a hypocrite. And then yes, we can engage on some of the historical ideals and some of the factual errors and we can go there gently and winsomely. But guys, I think the, if you are a follower of Jesus and you're sitting here this morning, I believe this is also an opportunity for us to look at ourselves. Say not can I smash someone's arguments, destroy them. No, 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 am am I living out what Jesus has called me to? And yes, your journey is different to mine and you might be at B and someone else might be at F and someone else might be at M and that's cool. But if we are here this morning, remember the whole Blue Bulls line supporter? Guys, we live in a culture where it's getting less and less popular to be a true follower of Jesus. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared to go against empire? Are you prepared to go against culture with love? That is the way of Jesus. Are you prepared to follow him? Identify in yourself where your desires more match the culture around you than the teachings of Jesus. And are you prepared to adapt as God shows you those things? So as we do this, I'm gonna invite us all to pray. God, I pray first and foremost that we would set in our hearts you apart as Lord. That we would recognize that you are our king, you are our God, you are the one who saved us and you are the one who did it all. And that regardless of any veneer of morality or cultural goodness, I'm a sinner in need of grace and I've got nothing to offer you. There's no way I could have climbed that ladder of holiness to your standards, God. You climbed down that ladder, climbed on a tree for me because I was your enemy and you died for me. And now Lord, we want to live according to your Lordship. We want to live in a way, God, that we are occasionally going to be standing out and be seen as weird and strange. Not because we're weird and strange, but because we're actually living out the ideals of the kingdom. And God, as we do this, I do pray for compassion for those who are seeking a compassion for those who have huge questions, a compassion for those who do find obstacles to coming to faith. And in this one, when it comes to hypocrisy, God, I pray for divine humility in us. And God, I pray as we engage with those who are looking for answers to their struggles and their questions, they might see something genuine in our lives in the way we respond to them with gentleness and respect. So God, may we live these out and may we also engage with courage and with humility. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.